Turning your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 25. As you know, we've been going through the book of Samuel uh, verse by verse, passage by passage. We're continuing looking at the lives of basically David and Saul and Jonathan. And in this little section, in fact, in chapter 25, let me go back for just a second. Just to show, we've titled this one, Abigail the Wise Woman, because we're looking at David's interaction with this man. His name is Nabal. And, and you remember, David's on the run, and we'll talk more about Nabal in just a minute. Uh, Nabal was a rich man, but a foolish man. And we see in this passage, David is going to kill Nabal. That's what he's doing. He's got 400 of his men. He's going. He had lied to David. He had cheated David. And so David's going to get him. And so as we look at this, David is seeking vengeance. Now, we've already seen over and over that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Up to this time, David has done so good. I mean, when Saul tried to kill him two or three times, he did fine. When he had the opportunity to kill Saul, he wouldn't do it. He said, vengeance belongs to the Lord. I'll just leave it that way. But as we look at this, David is about to to make a mistake. David's about to do wrong. He is going to kill Nabal. And so we're going to meet this morning what we call the wise woman. Uh, Her name is Abigail. She is the wife of Nabal. And we're going to see what happens. So as we look at this passage, we're going to see two things. And this may surprise you a little bit. We're going to see how to respond when we have wronged others. Now, we've been seeing over and over that people have been wronging David, and David's allowed vengeance for the Lord and all that. But what do we do if we do something wrong to somebody? And then the second is, how do we respond when we're wrong? So it's sort of a dual aspect there that we're going to look at as we go through our passage this morning. Well, you're driving on the highway, and you're driving the speed limit, and somebody flies past you, and your first thought is, I hope they get caught, right? Isn't that what you think? They're going so fast, and you say, you hope they get caught, and in fact, we think sometimes we want people to get what they deserve unless it's us, and then we just want mercy and grace, but we want people to get what they deserve, and when people do wrong, that's what we want, but uh, the truth is this, we realize that when somebody does wrong, uh, you know, our natural response is to want to get them back. We've already seen from the scripture that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Romans chapter 12 says, never return evil with evil, return evil with good. And so we're seeing something this morning where this man named Nabal did wrong to David. And David, instead of doing what he's been doing, which is leaving vengeance to the Lord, he's going after this man to kill him. And so uh, what's going to happen? David's going to do that. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with with when we have done somebody wrong? And one of the great truths we realize from the Bible is vengeance belongs to the Lord. David takes matters into his own hand and seeks to kill Nabal. And we're going to meet, and we met last week, this woman named Abigail. We call her the wise woman, and we're going to see what she does. She's the wife of Nabal. We've seen that in these last few chapters that Saul is trying to kill David. David is on the run. Saul is the king of Israel, but he's already been rejected by God. David has already been anointed as the next king of Israel, but he's not the king yet. David was anointed when he was maybe 15 years old. He's not going to be the king till he's 30. So all this time, Saul is trying to get him. And uh, Saul is looking for him to kill him. And one of the things that I think is amazing, and we talked about this several weeks ago, is everybody can find David but Saul. Saul wants to kill him, and God is protecting him. Jonathan found David. David's parents found David. The priest found David. 600 men found David. We're going to find that Abigail finds David, but Saul can't find David. That's because God is protecting David from Saul. And so we're going to see in this situation, what is David going to do? He's done right all the way up to here, up to this time, but now he's doing wrong. 
He's going he's gonna to go kill this man named Nabal. And I'll give you more information about what happened in just a second. But we have to look at this and you say, well, David, he's like a man after God's own heart and he's, he's the great one and yet he's going to make a mistake. He's going to do something really wrong. He's planning to kill a man. He's planning to get his own vengeance. And sometimes in our lives, as we do good for a while, and then we mess up. And sometimes we'd say, oh, I would never do that. But just remember, take heed lest we think we stand, we fall. We're capable of any sin. So here's David. So let's think where we are. David has 600 men. There was a man by the name of Nabal, and he was so rich. He had all these sheep, all these goats. He had everything. And David came and made an agreement with the shepherds that we'll protect you. We'll protect all these sheep of this man named Nabal, and we'll take our 600 men and we'll surround everything, and the animals won't get through and eat the sheep or the goats, and anybody won't come steal. We'll protect you. And then when it comes time to share the sheep, uh, we'll, we'll take our share. We'll come in and say, thank you, we protected you, and you'll give us that. That was sort of the deal. Well, we saw that that was supposed to be the deal. So when David sent his men to Nabal, because they're shearing the sheep, it's a big party time, when David sent his men there, uh, Nabal treated them badly. Watch, if you have your Bibles at 1 Samuel 25, verse 9, then David's young men came and they spoke to Nabal according to all the words in David's name, and they waited. They basically said, we've taken care of your sheep, pay us. That's basically what they're saying. It says in verse 10, but, and so David is coming. So when Nabal answered David's servants, and he said, who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today are breaking away from their master. Shall I take my bread, my water, my meat? I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to these men. So he really makes fun of David. He, when he, David asked, he basically ran him off. He said, who is David? Let me just tell you something. Everybody in Israel knows who David is, and they know who his father is, because that's what he said, who, who is this man, son of Jesse? Listen, he's lying when he says, I don't know who this David is. He knows what's happening. Let me tell you another foolish thing that he did. He didn't turn around and talk to his men and say, why are these people coming and asking for food? And they would have said to him, they protected us all this time. We made a deal with them. We need to pay them. But he wouldn't even do that. He wouldn't listen to anybody. He just ran them off. He said, get out of here. I don't know who you are. I don't care who you are. And so they leave. If you look down, when they came back to David, they came to David and said, we went to that guy named Nabal and we said we expect our get our stuff. And he said, get out of here. He didn't even know who you are. Get out. So David says, everybody get their swords, put them on. David's going to put his sword on. If you notice verse 13, David said to his men, each of you gird on your sword. So each man girded on his sword. David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went up behind David, while 200 stayed with the baggage. Remember, he's got 600 people. So 400 are going to fight. Now, here's his plan, and you don't see it yet. We'll see it in a few verses later. His plan is to go to Nabal's house, Nabal's place, and kill every man there. Nabal has a lot of helpers, a lot of servants, a lot of people. His plan is to go there and kill them all, including Nabal. So he says, okay, man, we're going, and we're going to wipe this guy out. Well, what happened after they left, after David is on the way, one of the servants of Nabal came to Nabal's wife. Her name is Abigail. And the Bible says she's pretty and she's wise and she's intelligent. It says Nabal's a fool and he's not very wise and he's evil. And so these people come to Abigail and said, we got a real problem. And Abigail says, what's the problem? It says, well, these men came to your husband, your worthless husband, and 
uh, he, he ran them off. And I guarantee you, they're coming back to kill us all. We better do something or every one of us are going to be dead. So Abigail decides what she's going to do. And if you look at verse 18, uh, it says, Then Abigail hurried, and she took 200 loaves of bread, two jugs of wine, five sheep already prepared, five measures of roasted grain, a hundred clusters of grapes, and 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on the donkey. So she's got it all loaded up. Then she said to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I'm coming after you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. And she didn't tell him because she knew that if she were to tell him, he'd stop her. And he's such a foolish man, he wouldn't listen to her. He wouldn't listen to anything that she said. So she's saying the very best thing to do is just do this, go on and get this done because if not, every man will be killed. So she takes off, ready to go. Now you remember, David, 400 men are on the way to their house, so to speak, their camp. She, meanwhile, is coming to meet David with the, with the food. So look what happened in verse 20. It came about as she was riding on her donkey and coming down by the hidden part of the mountain that, behold, David and his men were coming down toward her, so she met them. Now, uh, when, when, we, when we think about Abigail, as I said a while ago, she's the wife of Nabal. She's described as wise and beautiful. So they meet. So David's coming down a hill with a bunch of men. She's coming down, and they're going to meet sort of in a little valley. And, you know, she doesn't know what to expect. She could think that David would look at her and kill her. He just might kill her and just keep going. She's taken her life into her hands. And so look what happens. We now, have, we now get the information what David was planning on doing, verse 21. Now David had said, Surely in vain I guarded all that this man had in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned to me evil for good. Now remember the Bible says, Never return evil with evil, but return evil with what? Good. Now David's planning, but this, he said, This man returned my good with evil, so now I'm going to return his evil with Evil. So David's going contrary to the scripture. He is. And that's his plan. Look at verse 22. May God do so to the enemies of David and more also, if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who belongs to him. He said, I'm going to kill every man there. Now we stop and think and we say, David, 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 do you think this is the right thing to do? David said, yeah, because that guy, he messed over me. He owes me. And he lied to me, and he made fun of me, and he's not going to get away with that. But what we could say is, David, doesn't vengeance belong to the Lord? Not to you. And so we've seen David's thought, and vengeance does belong to the Lord, but David's about to do wrong. Well, all of a sudden, he looks up, and there is this beautiful woman and all these donkeys, and she's standing there greeting him. Well, she's fixing to get off her donkey. We'll see in just a second. So when that verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she hurried, dismounted from her donkey, fell on her face before David and bowed herself to the ground. She got off and she showed great respect for David. Now let's look at it from Abigail's side. And this is what I want you to learn from. She's coming as if she did wrong. Her husband did wrong. They were supposed to pay David. They went back on their word. David's coming to kill him. She's coming and she's representing her husband and she's going to say, I did wrong. And so as we look at this, I want you to think about something. What do we do? What does Abigail do? She does three things. I want you to see it. 
She recognizes wrong was done to David. She recognized there was wrong. Second, she tries to correct the wrong. And third, she asks for forgiveness. Now, when we do somebody wrong, in every one of this room, somewhere down the line, as much as we might, might, might not want to, we may end up hurting somebody or doing something wrong. And what do we need to do? What is that? Oh, okay. How did that move back to there? I don't know. Anyway, she did that. So here's what happens. What, when we do wrong, what do we do? What should we do? Well, we need to recognize we've done wrong. We need to go to a person and say, I blew it. I mean, I, I lied to you, or I did this to you, or I didn't mean to do this, but I did it anyway. The second thing is, if we can correct it, if possible. Sometimes you can't correct it. Sometimes you do things, and there's not a way to correct it. If possible, we should correct it. And the third thing, we should seek forgiveness. And we're going to see, this is exactly what she does, and we can learn from this, because sometimes, every one of us in this room, we're going to mess up, and we're going to need to go to somebody and say, I did wrong and I'll correct it, and will you forgive me? So let's see what she does. The first thing she does is she admits that she's wrong. Look at verse 24. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be your blame, and please let your maidservant speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. She, she admits that she's wrong. She says, Put the blame on me. She allows the blame to fall on her. You know what she's doing? She's saying, I'm taking the place of my husband. He's an idiot. He's a fool. That's what he is. And we're going to see later on what she says and what everybody says. He's an evil, foolish man. And she comes and says, put the blame on me. I'm going to take his place. He, he did wrong, but I'm doing wrong. Put the blame on me. And Abigail becomes the substitute. Now, let me tell you something. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we all go God death. And you know what we need? We need a substitute. And our substitute is Jesus Christ. He took our place in 1 Peter 3.18. Christ died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust. We all owed God death, and Jesus took our place. And so what happens is, bottom line, is that we're supposed to be separated from God forever because we all sinned. And Jesus said, no, 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 put the blame on me. I will die in their place, pay for their sin, rise again, conquer death, and save them, give them eternal life. So she comes, and she takes the blame. And look at the next verse, because it's a pretty powerful verse. She says, please do not let my Lord, she's, now she's calling David Lord, do not let my Lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal. That's what she calls her husband, a worthless man, Nabal. His name means fool, and for she says, for as his name is, so is he. Now we wonder, who in the world named him fool? Would you name your child, hey, fool, let's, let's name him fool. Well, that's what he's named. Could be that that's what everybody called him because that's what he was. Fool, his fool is his name and folly is with him. I am your maidservant. I did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. She says, now look, my husband is foolish and that's his name. And the truth is, I didn't see the men. When you sent the men, they went to my husband and he ran them off. But I never saw them. If I would have seen them, what she's implying is, if I would have seen them, I would have handled this and we wouldn't be going through this right now. So the first thing she does is admit there's wrong. There's a second thing. She's going to correct the wrong. Look what she says in verse 27. She says, now, 
go back, go back to verse 26. It says, now as my Lord lives, as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding the blood and from avenging yourselves by your own hand and your enemies and seeking evil against my Lord. She said, please stop. Don't kill. Don't do all this. You've stopped it. I'm trying to stop you now. And then she says, take the gift. Take the gift which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, be given to the young men. Now, you remember there's that donkeys and they've got all that food on there. And basically that's what David was supposed to be paid. And she's bringing it and she gives it to him and she corrects it. She says, basically, here's what should have been the first time. And then, so she gives the, the, the food for David and his men. And then the third thing she does is she asks for forgiveness. Look at verse 28. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant. Forgive me. Forgive me. She wants David to forgive her, to let it go. By the way, forgiveness is key. Forgiveness is key in anything. Forgiveness means to let go. It comes from the Greek word. This is Hebrew here, but in the New Testament, it talks about forgiveness. It's a Greek word, arao, which means to lift up and to take away. And when we forgive somebody, we remove whatever they did wrong and we let it go. She's actually saying to David, please let this go. Please let this get out of here. One of the great truths that we have to understand, and we've talked about it before, is that forgiveness is vital on our part. When somebody does us wrong, we have to forgive. Whether they ask for forgiveness, will they ever come back? Because if you don't forgive, you will be bitter. You'll be angry, and as time goes by, you'll be depressed, angry, and bitter the rest of your life. So we're supposed to forgive whether anybody ever asks for forgiveness. She is coming and asking for forgiveness, and she says, please forgive the transgressions of your maid servant. So that's what she wants to do. Look what she's done. When we do wrong, we need to do the same thing. We need to admit we did wrong. We need to correct it, and we need to seek forgiveness. Now, I'm going to go quickly because she is going to say five things about David. Now, I said to you earlier, she is a wise person. And look what she says, and we'll go quickly through it. I just want you to see it. She's going to make five statements about David. The first one is that God fights for David, that God will establish David's kingdom. Look at verse 28 again. Please forgive the transgressions of your, of your, of your maidservant. For the Lord will certainly make for my Lord, talking about God will do for David, an enduring house. Because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil will not be found in all your days. So she makes the first statement, and she says, God will establish David's kingdom. Why? Because David fights for God. Every time David fights, he fights for God. When he fought Goliath, what did he say? You come with shield and spear, but I come in the name of the living God. David fights God's battles. And she said, God will establish your kingdom. Now, I told you, everybody knows David's going to be the king. She knows it. And she says, God will fight the battle, a great house. David's going to be a great king. There's a second thing. She says, God will defeat David's enemies. Look at verse 29. Should anyone rise up to pursue you and seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will sling out from the hollow of a sling. Now let me tell you what it, all that says is this. When anybody comes after David, she says, God's going to wrap you up and keep you safe and your enemies will be like a rock that you put in a sling and let it go, they'll be thrown away. She said, David, you don't have to worry. God will defeat your enemies. Then in verse 30, she says, David, you're going to be the king. Verse 30, and when the Lord does for my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and appoints you ruler over Israel. David's going to be the king. 
And I, I put this, uh, you know, I put this up this way. It's all over the nation that David will be the next king. So, I mean, she's really wise. She's sitting there saying, you're going to be the king. God's going to fight your battles. One of these days you're going to rule. And then she says the fourth thing, and she says, don't get vengeance. Look at verse 31. That this will not cause grief or a troubled heart to my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause and my Lord having avenged himself. I'm going to stop there because of something else. She says, when time comes and you're the king, you do not want to look back and say, boy, I blew it then. We talked about this several weeks ago. There are things that we may do. We've got to be careful because we don't want to say 10 years from now, five years from now, will I look back on this and be ashamed of what I've done. She's actually saying to David, you don't want to be king and look back and say, yeah, there was a time I went and killed a guy and killed all those people. I shouldn't have done that. That doesn't make me look like a great king. She's saying, you don't want to be ashamed of something you've done in the past. Let it go. Let it go is what she's saying. Do not cause grief or a troubled heart by shedding blood without a cause. And so she says, David, don't do that. Because remember, the king has got to be fair. He's got to be trustworthy. He's got to be a, someone that they respect. And I, I made it sort of a little joke at the first service. It's sort of like, David, you don't want that on your permanent record. You know, when we were in school, we had some permanent record, which we don't know what that was, but we thought we were in trouble. And uh, she's saying to David, you don't want on your record that you kill this man, that you killed all these people for no reason. And then she says something that's amazing. She says this, don't forget me. Remember me when you become king. Look at the end of verse 31. She says, when the Lord deals well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. What does she mean? What do you think she means? Don't forget me? She could be saying, you know, one of these days I may be single. And uh, don't forget me. She could be saying, you know, uh, protect me because she doesn't know. She's gone one way and David could kill her. She could go back home and her husband could kill her. She doesn't know. And all she's saying to David is, don't forget me. And I, I actually think that she's saying, don't forget me because I could be single one of these days. Watch. Watch. So he, amazing. So what does she do? She deals with the wrong. I admit that it was wrong. She corrects the wrong, and she seeks forgiveness. And then she gives wise counsel. She says, David, you fight for God. God will defeat David's enemies. David will be the king. Don't forget, that. don't get the vengeance, and remember her. And that's what we see. And it's just incredible. And we see that what David does then is his response is twofold. He blesses God and he blesses Abigail. Look at the next verse, verse 32. Then David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. You know what he says? God is protecting me by sending you. And then he says in the next verse, bless you. He says, and blessed be your discernment and blessed be you who kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. He says, blessed be God by sending you and blessed be you for helping me think about what I was about to do. He says she showed discernment. You know what discernment is? It's wisdom. She understood that David was one day going to be the king and he did not want to have killed all these people and then one day be king and somebody say, yeah, but five years ago, you wiped out a whole bunch of people for no reason. And David says, 
Bless God for sending you and bless you for stopping me. Now, let me just say something. She, she doesn't know. She thinks now David's not going to kill her. But she doesn't know what's going to happen when she gets home. She doesn't know what's going to happen when Nabal finds out what she's done. So, so bottom line, you, he said, you kept me from killing. And I want you to think about two things from this. May we be used to help others. Just like there may be a time that you help somebody else see that what they're fixing to do is a bad thing. And then may we never seek vengeance. And so look at verse 34. He says, Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you, unless you'd come quickly to meet me, surely there would not have been left to Nabal as, and, and until the morning light as one male. He said, If you hadn't been here, I'd have killed every man there. So David received from her hand what she brought up, and he said to her, Go in peace. Go to your house. I have listened to you, and I've granted your request. She said, he said, I'm not going to come kill everybody then. Thank you for stopping me. Thank you. Well, Abigail's going to go back. What's going to happen? Let me show you something. This wise woman was used by God to not only keep David from doing wrong, but she was used to save all the men in the household of Nabal. Think about that. When you think about some amazing women in the scripture, Esther, Ruth, Deborah, Abigail, Mary, God uses men and women, and he's raised up Abigail to save David. And you say, save David? I thought she was saving Nabal. Yeah, but she's saving David from doing something that's going to be wrong, that's going to hurt him the rest of his life, and she's saving her husband as well. Well, vengeance belongs to the Lord. If anybody's going to get vengeance, let, let God do it. So David goes back and says, well, that guy got away with it. No, he didn't. Remember what we said? Nobody ever gets away with it. Watch what happens. Then Abigail, we'll go fast to this last part. Then Abigail came to Nabal, and, and behold, he was holding a feast in the house like the feast of a king. He's having a party. What an idiot. He's having a party. He didn't know it, but there were people on the way to kill him, and what's he doing? He's having a party, and look what it says about it. He was holding a feast in the house, and Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she did not tell him anything at all until the morning light. She came to talk to him. He's so drunk and having a party, she says, he, he will never remember anything I ever tell him anyway. So she decides to wait till the next day. He was a drunk and foolish man. He didn't even know that she just saved his life. He doesn't even know it. So look what happens. But in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him his things, and his heart died within him. So that he became as a stone, and about 10 days later, guess what happened to him? David killed him. No. 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Who does vengeance belong to? Vengeance belongs to the Lord. His heart became like a stone. He either went into shock or had a stroke. 10 days later, the Lord dealt with him. The Lord dealt with him. And look what David says in verse 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said... Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded my cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and kept back his servant from evil. God stopped me from doing evil. The Lord also returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. I'm going to stop there. He says, wow, thank you, Lord. You stopped me from getting vengeance and you took care of the problem. Wow. God deals with those who wrong us. When you say... 
They did me wrong, and they're going to get away with it. They're never going to get away with it. God rights all wrongs. God deals things. Vengeance belongs to God, not to us. Well, watch what David does. Can you imagine this next line? Then David sent a proposal to Abigail to take her as his wife. Wonder where he got that idea. Uh, Remember me when you're the king. Well, David's not the king yet, but he says, you know what? She's pretty sharp. And she's real pretty. And so that's what am I going to do? Then the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, and they spoke to her saying, David has sent us to you to take you as his wife. Now, she has been the wife of a very rich man. Now, she's going to be the wife of a hunted man running and living in the wilderness. She's going to go from luxury to living in caves. Is she going to do, what's she going to say? Is she going to say yes or no? Well, you know what? She's pretty smart. She says, this man's going to be king one day. That should be a pretty good deal, you know, when you become king. So she arose and bowed her face to the ground, verse 41, and she said, behold, your maidservant is maid to wash the feet of my Lord's servant. She says, I'll marry him and I'll come be like a maid to his maids. And then Abigail rose quickly, rode on a donkey and her five maidens who attended her, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. And we say this, is it right for David to marry Abigail? Is David already married? Who's he married to? Michael. He's married to Michael, which is Saul's daughter. He's already married to her. And then if you look at the next verse, David had also taken Ahinam of Jezreel, and they both became his wives. So how many wives does David have right now? He has three. And we go, what, David? David, 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 I don't think you're supposed to do that. And he said, well, in our culture, you know, kings and sometimes people have more than one wife. Did that make it right? No, it didn't. We pretty much have decided that it's from the scripture, it's always better just to have one, right? And notice what this next verse says. Now Saul Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Lachish, who was from God. So Saul gave David's wife away to another man. Let me ask you something. What do you think David's going to do about that when time comes? Let me let you realize something. One of David's weaknesses is women. He's going to have problems in the long run with women. Deuteronomy 17, 17 says this, that when a man becomes king, he is not to multiply horses because that means you're going to trust the horses in your army instead of God. He says you're not to multiply gold because then you trust your wealth rather than God. And then he says, and you're not to multiply wives because they will turn your heart away from God. And David, this is his weakness. It's women. And the truth is, all of us have some kind of weaknesses. Uh, We all have strengths, we all have weaknesses. If you remember in the past, it says, seeing we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily entangle us. I think each person has... Some area that we say, ah, I struggle with that area all the time. David struggles in the area of women. We're going to see it as we go through his life. 
Well, let me give you some applications so we can be through here. The first one is, let's leave vengeance to the Lord. That's what we got to do. We see that David was going out of his way to do wrong, and Abigail stopped him, and he looks back, and he says, thank you, Lord, for sending Abigail, and thank you, Abigail, for coming and stopping me from doing something I knew was wrong. Vengeance belongs to you, and God took care of it. The second thing is let's, let's be used by God to touch other lives. Maybe it's to help people grow. Maybe it's to help people deal with sin. Maybe it's to encourage or build up. As God used Abigail in David's life, maybe God can use us into other people's lives and so we can help them grow and those kind of things. The third thing is let's deal with our wrongs. Listen, if we do somebody wrong, admit it. Correct it if possible. Sometimes it's not possible to correct something that we've done. And then the third thing is seek forgiveness because when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, but seek forgiveness from the person that we wrong. And all we can do is ask for forgiveness. They may or may not forgive us, but that's up to them, not up to us. Last but not least, just remember that Jesus Christ is our substitute in the same way that Abigail came and said, uh, put the sin on me, put the mistake on me. She was saying, I'm taking the place of my husband. Jesus said, Put the payment for sin on me. The wages of sin is death, and Jesus died for us instead of us having to, be, to die and to be separated from Jesus Christ. We have the great substitute that we come to God simply by faith in Jesus Christ who died and rose again for us as our substitute.